Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Well, stirring words, to be sure, glorious uh, psalm. Uh, All of them are, but this one stands out to me as being particularly glorious. But I must say uh, this, and perhaps you notice this, it seems to me that this psalm takes a bit of a winding path. Uh, David begins by confidently describing what he will do. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever, verse 1. And he says in verse 2, every day I will bless you. He begins confidently describing what he will do. And he then comments on one of the dynamics of the Christian life, the sharing of testimonies, the fact that the uh, beliefs of others, the experience of others, the stories of others about God's actions in their lives, uh, well, they, they come to the, to the ears of the saints as an encouragement. Sometimes those stories come from previous generations. Look at verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another. And so to the recipients of these testimonies, even though we didn't directly experience these awesome works of God, these testimonies, well, they're worth thanking God for. And so he begins with a statement of confidence, the things it'll do, but then here in the middle, uh, there is just what seems to be an ordinary dynamic of the Christian life, sharing testimonies with one another. Now, It seems as though all of this would be uh, just fine, such that David could end his psalm uh, around verse 13, and everything would be rather tidied up. It would be neat. Uh, He would have said, I will praise you every day of my life, God, because even before I was born, others have found you worthy to praise you every day of their lives. Uh, Multiple generations of every days should be filled with praise to God. 
His works are great in every day of my generation. Well, they were great in every day of my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation and so on. And so at the very end uh, here, uh, well, the presumed end in verse 13, David could actually, he could just neatly cap off the entire psalm. I mean, uh, look, uh, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout the generations. That's verse 13, uh, the end. It's a nicely balanced psalm about praising God every day because he's great every day and you have heard that he's great every day from generations before you. And yet, as Christians, we know something to be true. Not every day of my life is, shall I say, filled with wonders of God's works. Indeed, I want to praise him every day. I know that I should praise him every day. Uh, The generations before me make this clear. However, sometimes I feel bowed down. I feel hungry. I feel unfulfilled. I I feel unpitied. I feel far from God. Well, look what David does in verses 14 through 20. He addresses that very situation. And so it it, it feels as though this psalm, as I said earlier, it takes a bit of a winding path. Uh, In the power of the Holy Spirit, David has has a message for us. But I can't help but feel that David has a message for himself as well. That the first part of this psalm, those first three verses, that confidence that David has for praising God because he is great. That those first three verses, they fit with verses 14 through 20. Acknowledging That he needs a God who will lift him up, will feed him, will hear his cry. He needs that kind of God before he will be able to praise him every day, which is what he says he'll do in verses 1 through 3. You see, David knows that our everyday lives are actually filled with obstacles that would seem to prevent us from praising God. But David says that the fellowship of praise among all of the saints is actually God's instrument to to help us praise him even amidst our dire struggles. Let's go through this uh, one step at a time. The first three verses, David clearly understands the call to praise God. And not just to praise God, but to praise God every day. I wonder if you've noticed this. Perhaps not. You've looked at Psalm 145 a couple of times during our worship service. But have you noticed that there seems to be in this psalm a particular lack of praiseworthy deeds of God? The specifics of what God has done in the past seem to be missing from this psalm. Not entirely, but largely. And yet, uh, nonetheless, in in verses 1 through 3, David describes the great habit of his life. Every day I will bless you. Every day I will praise your name uh, forever and ever. This day and tomorrow and the next. Whatever the day brings, I will bless you and praise your name. This is a great mission statement, isn't it? Every day my knees will bend to God. Every day. And I'm going to do this forever. Now, David is a king, and this has a lasting impact on a watching world. 
You see, uh, the defining action of King David is not uh, defending the land, although uh, that is a role of a king. Uh, the defining action is not gratifying the needs of the people, although that also uh, is uh, a role of a king. Uh, the defining action of David's life is uh, bowing to another king. Look what he calls God, my God and king. But notice again, David, David never actually states the rationale for why he is praising God. He doesn't outline the great deeds of God. What does he, what does he say instead there in verse 3? He says his greatness is, it's unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. And David leaves it at that, even though that's the case. Even though I've not outlined the great things God has done, he's worthy to receive my praise. You know, I think of uh, Exodus chapter 3 where Moses asks God uh, what he will uh, say the name of God is to the people, uh, the Hebrew people in Egypt as they ask him. And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. That's, uh, that's God's self-designation. I am who I am. And when you look at verses 1 through 3, David seems to be praising Yahweh simply because he is who he is. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. End of story. That's it. And what we need to take away from these first three uh, verses is this, is that David is laser-focused in his devotion to God. Uh, He is not uh, bothering with uh, what it is that God has done in order to deserve the praise that he offers God. Uh, God is great. And he's greatly to be praised. That's the focus of King David's life. Now, David doesn't know what every day will bring, does he? He actually doesn't know. And you don't know, and I don't know. And yet all the while, we see a man who is focused to always praise the greatness of the Lord. Now, we, we shouldn't uh, miss this focus, and I'm going to do something that I don't always do. I want to use an illustration that comes from the automotive world because, as many of you here know, I love cars. And I read a lot of history about famous uh, races, and there's a driver uh, named Guy Moll, a, a Frenchman, grew up in Tangiers, and uh, he raced in the 1930s, and his boss was, uh, you guess, Enzo Ferrari. That's the man he races for. And Enzo Ferrari said this is just the finest driver that uh, he has ever seen. He was a prodigy. He had only been racing for four years when he is uh, racing on this uh, wet uh, August day in 1934, a race called the Capa Cherbo. Uh, and the uh, biographer of Guy Moll, uh, a man by the name of Luca Del Monte, uh, says this about this particular race. He says that uh, Guy Moll, he drove as if he were in a sort of racing trance, uh, one of those rare moments in the career of a racing driver driver when man sublimates his talent and his car seems to support him in every conceivable way. Those are lofty words. It's just a car race. <laughs> it's just a car race. But Guy Moll is focused. He's deliberate. And the car's agreeing with him. And he's fast. I wonder if when we read the first three verses of Psalm 145, we stop there and we think David is that kind of man. He's focused and he's fast. He's got a mission for life. He knows what he's doing. 
He will praise God every day. And we think of King David and we think, you know, I'm not sure I can praise God every day because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But King David didn't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But he is a superhero of faith. And we read verses 1 through 3 and we think uh, he's the mall of the racing world. He's the guy that can do it. He's focused. He's deliberate. He's the one guy perhaps that would not know what's happening tomorrow but know that he'll be praising God. Well, David doesn't know what every day will bring any more than you know what every day will bring. I want us to move on and I want us to understand where David is receiving his motivation for praising God, but I also want to look at the very, very end where something rather surprising happens. But in verses 4 through 13, David shows that he uh, understands who God is by virtue of the testimony that he hears from others. It's the, it's the evidence of others that fills David with the confidence of verses 1 through 3. And so rather than describe the various works of God, which he could do in detail, he doesn't describe the various works of God. He, in a sense, defers to others. He says that others who have gone before him have told of the greatness of God. Think about David's own life. David's dad, you know David's dad, that's Jesse. Jesse was a shepherd in Bethlehem. Jesse lived in a very interesting time in the history of Israel. He lived before the era of Saul. He knew what Israel was like before the anointing of Saul. Uh, he lived his life at, the, at most likely the very end of the period of Judges. And you know what the book of Judges is about. The book of Judges is about deliverers being raised up to help God's people as they cry under the oppression of other nations. Well, David's own dad, Jesse, knew something of this era. Of this era. Uh, Jesse, he knew Samuel, and, and Samuel perhaps was the, first, was the very last of the judges. Uh, Jesse would have known something about the fact that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the motto that appears throughout Judges. Well, David's dad, Jesse, he, he lived during that period. And, and not only that, Jesse, he would have heard stories uh, from his own dad, Obed. Uh, between the two of them, uh, David's uh, dad and David's uh, grandfather, uh, Obed, between the two of them, uh, they would have known a lot about the history of, for instance, the, the Benjaminites, uh, those people at the end of Judges that receive about a chapter and a half worth of attention. Uh, David's dad... And David's grandfather, they would have known very well the significance of Saul. They would have known very well the significance of the period of the judges. Well, and think about this. Uh, do you think that uh, Jesse knew his own grandfather or uh, David's great-great-grandfather? Do you know who David's great-grandfather is? It's Boaz, the husband of Ruth. Jesse, who becomes famous as the stump of Jesse, who is David's own dad, uh, Jesse's dad, Obed, and Jesse's grandfather, uh, Boaz, uh, there would be a collection of stories of God's grace and wonders that would keep us wrapped in attention for all eternity and, in fact, will for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. David had a bit of that in his life, hearing those stories. And so in verses uh, 4 through 13, uh, David is actually deferring to the, the stories of God's great grace and great strength from previous generations. Notice both verse 4 and verse 13 refer to the character of God in every generation, but without any specific acts. What is it that God did? 
You know, one verse, uh, verse 4, says that he has accomplished what? Mighty acts. And then one verse, verse 13, says that he is faithful in all of his words and kind in all of his works. Uh, these are summary statements. They're not the actual details of what makes God so great. So how is David praising God? He's praising God because previous generations have told of God's greatness. And that is enough. It's so important for us to to hear that in Psalm 145. If these uh, stories that David has heard are not about the great acts of God, then they're not the kinds of stories that David is talking about. David is talking about stories in which uh, Christian brothers are telling him about the works of God. Now look at verse 10. All of your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless, literally shall bow down to you. You know, we hear stories from previous generations, many of them perhaps. And in fact, many of us here can tell numerous stories uh, that they've heard from their parents or from their grandparents, stories from uh, an era that has come and gone. But if you're a professing Christian, you know that those stories from previous generations are all the more glorious when they're told by a Christian witnessing firsthand the never-changing greatness of their God in that era. David has heard sanctified storytelling from previous generations his entire life. And we see him at the beginning of the psalm focused in his praise for God's greatness. But in this psalm, he's telling us that his confidence comes largely from the testimony of previous saints, those who have gone before him and tell stories not of their own greatness, their own successes, but stories of God's greatness. David has heard those stories. And he says every day, every day, I will praise him for his greatness. There's a couple of applications here. One of them is very immediate. Let me just call that out. There is a multi-generational aspect of the fellowship of the body of Jesus Christ today that serves a very significant role in our ability to praise and thank God. The storytelling of Christians who've gone before us actually matters. We, of course, are learning uh, from the life of King David. Uh, The greatness in King David's life encourages us to praise God for his greatness in our own lives. That is true. But it's true also uh, within this very building this very morning. There's a multi-generational aspect of the church that is deeply important to David. That we would be a people who are telling the stories, not of our own greatness, but of the greatness of God in our lives. Those stories would be passed down from generation to generation. The immediate application is this. The telling of these stories, I believe, is growing rare. And it's not growing rare because people are selfish and they're not telling the stories of God in their lives to the upcoming generations. That's not the problem. The problem is that they're not converted. And the stories that they're telling about upcoming generations are usually faddish and trite and unimportant. The stories that matter are the stories that testify to the greatness of God. Now, 
the direct application is that we need to be listeners to our brothers and sisters who have lived Christian lives longer than we have. We need to be fine-tuned listeners. But we also need to be tellers of stories of God's works to our own children and the young people uh, in whose company we find ourselves. We should stop boasting about ourselves and boasting about God and what he has done. That his greatness in our lives would be carried forward by the generation after us. But there's also another application, not just a multi-generational application of listening well and also telling stories well of God's greatness to upcoming generations. Uh, There's another application. It seems as though uh, in verses 4 through 13 uh, that the focus on multi-generational sharing is there. But I want us not to forget the very context of Psalm 145 itself. Yes, in Psalm 145, David is talking about older saints telling stories to younger saints. But David is himself writing to his contemporaries when he is writing Psalm 145. It is to be used in the context of worship. And so while there is a multi-generational storytelling of God's great works, there also is a, a unigenerational storytelling of God's works, telling God's works to our peers, to one another, saints meeting with saints, that they might describe how God has worked in their lives and that the saint who is hearing that story of how God has worked in their lives would be encouraged and that both of them would be united in their desire to utter the words of one through three. I'll praise him every day. I'll praise him every day. We know that this has happened. We have heard stories of what God is doing in others' uh, lives. And we are encouraged by those stories. And we say, I'll praise them every day. The testimony of our brothers and sisters, it matters. And so regardless of what the day may bring, David doesn't know what the day may bring. But regardless of what that day may bring, David knows that the fellowship of praise among the saints is God's instrument to help him praise amidst whatever that day might bring. Do you, do you see how uh, verses uh, 4 through uh, 13 and verses 1 through 3, they fit so well together. Uh, David is enabled to praise God because of all of the testimonies of God's great works that he hears from his, his brothers and sisters. But there's still that niggling problem, isn't there? He doesn't know what the day will bring, and I don't know what the day will bring. And I feel like I can't say verses 1 through 3 with the same kind of confidence that David can. In fact, oftentimes I think that if I do a little bit more spiritual work, I'll be more emboldened to say verses 1 through 3, even though tomorrow what kind of calamity could happen? I don't know. Well, David believes that the work of God in the lives of others is perfectly justifiable to praise God each and every day for the remainder of your life. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. But I want to take you back to that car driver. That Frenchman named Guy Moll, who uh, Luca Damonte says sublimates his talent and his car seems to support him in every conceivable way. What I didn't tell you is that that man did not finish that race. 
Uh, That race in Pescara, Italy, uh, was a race in which he was in second place and he was in a rush. And while passing a slower car, something very, very easy, the slower cars, they move out of your way. In passing a slower car, he drove uh, the fastest his car would go right off the road into a ditch and hit a bridge support and died later that day. Now... I don't want any of us to think that in verses 1 through 3, we have an occasion for David uh, to boast about his laser focus on singing praises to God, whatever the day may bring. That is not the strength of David that enables him to say something so confidently. We should never boast a man for the focus of their devotion. We boast about a man because of God's focus of his devotion. And that is what David tells us at the end of this psalm. He reminds us what it is we are to listen for in the testimony of others. Let me be very clear about this. We are so quick to think that that people share their testimonies best when they succeed. And they succeed and great things happen and they tell us those great things happen because of God. And we hear the story and our hearts are lifted and we praise God. Yes, that happens. But David believes that the same thing can happen when a saint comes to another saint and says that I have fallen. That I cried out to God. That I had nothing, not even food. I was hopeless and desperate. Even in situations like that, or especially in situations like that, we can be encouraged to sing confidently the words of verses 1 through 3. You see, the focus in our lives, even focus to remember God's greatness, to bow our knees to him, to praise him, that focus, well, it can it can change. We just don't know what the day will bring us. That day may bring death, but usually it doesn't, right? It doesn't bring death. Usually, well, it brings frustration. It brings temptation. It brings suffering. It brings various obstacles that prove to be obstacles not only to the day itself, but obstacles to praising God for his greatness. There are numerous hardships in life that interrupt our days and disrupt our need for everyday focus to praise God. This is true. But notice how David talks about the character of God at the very end of this psalm in a surprising way at a time in the psalm when we might not expect it. It seems enough. Sing praises about God because of the stories of his saints. But he tells us not about the great works of God in the past, but he talks at the end of Psalm 145 about the great works of God in his personal life in the present. This is God's work every day. The Lord upholds all who are falling, and he raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry. And he saves them. Now I want you to pay attention to how verses 14 through 20 work. 
The personal caregiving quality of God gets sewn into the everyday praise of David. This is God ministering to David when he is falling, when he is bowed down, when he is hungry, when he is in need of kindness, when he is feeling distant from God, when he is crying out to God. This is God ministering to him every day. This is also a picture of every day in the Christian life. Not just those success stories where God did something great in your life and you just can't help but share it with a brother or sister. This, verses 14 through 20, are also success stories. You see, as a Christian, we have an opportunity to testify to the greatness of God even as we cry out to him in a challenging day. Even in that worst day, you are a saint Encouraging others because God answers your tears with his presence. It's part of being a Christian. It's part of being adopted into his family. It's part of having a perfect father who will never leave you. He will never remove himself. You feel it because of your obstacles. But he lifts you up. He gives you food. He comes near to you. He saves you. You can put it this way. Here's here's how we can put this. Your focus on praising God every day, like verses 1 through 3, is not what makes your life a testimony to others. It's not your focus. It's his kindness to you. And the same applied to generations before you, and the same applies to generations around you. God's merciful affection for his children is that great work, and that great work is tasted all the more poignantly when you are hurting and needy and weak and hungry. In your successes and in your failing, he is a great God. Do we really believe that? This is a great perk of Christianity. We get to praise God together, especially on those days when we are desperate for his care and we are longing for him, crying out to him in our great need, overcome with the tumultuous waters of that particular day. This is a gift of the body of Christ, being together, persecuted, marginalized, Poor, hurting, and weak. A perk of the body of Christ is that those people can get together and encourage one another. And in that day in particular, say, God is great. And we can count on doing that tomorrow as well. And the next day. And the next day. Because he is great. And he loves us in Christ Jesus. He'll do that tomorrow. And tomorrow. Let's pray. Our Father. You are with us. Would you help those. Especially this morning. Who are hurting. Help them. Lift them. Encourage them. Comfort them. And may they remind the brother and sister sitting next to them of just indeed how great God is. We come in the name of Jesus.
Amen.